Welcome to the Fairview Baptist Church Discipleship Podcast. This is a resource designed to help the covenant members of Fairview Baptist Church carry out our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Joshua Johnston, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Dr. Chuck Lawless. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, Dr. Lawless is the Dean of Doctoral Studies and Vice President of Spiritual Formation and Ministry Centers at Southeastern Seminary, where he also serves as the Professor of Evangelism and Missions. Uh, He's also a team leader for Theological Education Strategists for the IMB, and he's authored uh, several books to include Discipled Warriors, Putting on the Armor, Mentor, and Nobody's for Jesus, along with many, many other things. Now, uh, Dr. Lawless, um, I, uh, I did not have you as a professor. Uh, I'm a Midwestern guy, so I hope that you'll uh, show me a little bit of grace. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Uh, well, several uh, of our members here at church and uh, guys on staff, they've, uh, they've had you as a professor, or you're one of their, one of their favorites. Um, they just something about the way that you teach, like especially when you talk about our topic today, prayer, uh, they just they believe what you say. And so um, for our audience, would you just briefly introduce yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, I have been a believer for a number of years now. I was saved at age 13, having grown up in Ohio, heard the gospel from a seventh grade classmate. I started pastoring a church full-time when I was 20 years old, which is a little crazy now as I yes. look back on that. Uh, but April the 1st, I'll, I'll celebrate uh, 40 years in full-time ministry. I've been at Southeastern now for the last, uh, just started my ninth year at Southeastern and my 13th year working for the International Mission Board. My wife, Pam, and I were fixed up by two nosy church secretaries. Oh, good. <laughs> and we will have been married 30 years uh, the first week of May. Mm-hmm. That's uh, amazing. That's so good. Uh, you just finished up a teaching time on prayer, and it was so good. The feedback is already uh, great, and that's really our topic today. And uh, I know that you have a particular definition of prayer, and so would you share that with us? Sure, and it's it's really pretty simple. I'm not I'm not smart enough to give a complicated <laughs> one. So, prayer is for me. It is simply communicating with God. Which, which assumes a relationship with God, and it's a relationship that God initiates with us, so He invites us to come to Him. It assumes uh, a conversation. It, it assumes that we, we have the privilege of talking with God, and it assumes for me, Joshua, that prayer needs to be accompanied with a lifestyle of reading the Word, that we can hear from God in His Word, and we can respond to God in in prayer. So it's really a two-way street as we continue to converse with God. Uh, so good. Uh, well, today you talked about prayer, particularly in the life of Jesus, looking at the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, would you just very briefly, uh, for our audience here, um, kind of describe how Jesus' life informs our prayer life today? Yeah, the Gospel of Luke is, of the four Gospels, the, the Gospel most filled with examples of the prayer life of Jesus. And what we see is that Jesus very intentionally spent time with the Father. Uh, He often went to secluded places. He often uh, got up early in the morning to to pray. Just he and the Father. There were other times when he took his disciples up to the mountain to pray. There were other times when they apparently got to hear him pray, and so they wanted to pray like, like he did. He not only prayed, he taught them about prayer, and it, and it just becomes part of who Jesus is. 
And the early church picks up on that. In the book of Acts, we see exactly the same thing, that the early church prayer was a part of who they were, knowing that God had called them to do something they couldn't do, and that's to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, and knowing they would have to do it in the, in the power of God. And prayer became a primary vessel through which they did that. Yeah. Oh, well, earlier today, you mentioned that uh, ideally uh, we would uh, read the Gospel of Luke and see how Jesus prayed, or uh, we turn over to, uh, to, the, to the sequel, uh, and, uh, over to Acts, and we see how the early church prayed, and that should convict us. It should compel us to have this vibrant prayer life where uh, we're changed. We, we read those. We know we're supposed to pray. Uh, we, and, I, and, I, and I really do believe that uh, when I look at our church members, they want to have vibrant prayer lives. Uh, so then why don't people pray the way they should? That's a great question. And I, and I agree with you that when we read through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, that, that prayer is so much a part of Jesus' life and the life of the early church. Then you read the Apostle Paul's letters, and he's often talking about how he prays for people and requesting prayer. To be, to be real honest, even when I teach about prayer, like I did this morning, I wind up convicting myself, which, is, which isn't a good place to be. But it's just a reminder that we all... We all have to continue to learn how to pray. And I do agree with you. I think that most believers want to pray because they know that they should be praying. But many believers, if not most, don't get there. And I think there are multiple reasons. One that I talked about this morning is I think most of our churches tell people to pray but don't teach them how to pray. So we we give them the mandate, but we don't teach them the process. And the result then is when we know we need to do it, but we don't know how to do it, we don't do it or we don't do it well. And then we as leaders, when we learn our people aren't praying, get frustrated with that. And we just tell them more loudly. Right. No, you need to, you need to, I've been telling you, you need to pray, but we still don't teach them. So we just compound the guilt and it becomes increasingly difficult for us to get along with the Father. So I think I think we got to back up and teach people how to pray, beginning with our with our kids, our little ones. In some ways, they pick it up more readily because they're they're much more trusting. But we also need to teach adults how to pray. A, a second reason I think we struggle with this is is we we do not default into dependence on God. We we default into our self dependence, our independence. And the truth is, we, we can go through the motions of a lot of our Christian life. In fact, I would even argue that as ministers of the gospel, uh, you and I can do a lot of ministry in our own ability, and the church never really know how much we pray. Mm. And that ought to alarm us, yes. that, that we, can, we can do ministry, and in fact, in some cases, appear, at least in the world's eyes, to be effective in ministry. We can draw the crowd on our own ability. That doesn't mean that we're making a difference in the, in the darkness or that we're really being the, the men of God that God's called us to be. But we can do a lot of it without prayer, and when we can, we do, and that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. So I do think most of us, most of the folks I know that have learned how to pray well have been taught by somebody, but there's also something else that has somewhere in their life driven them to a place where they had to pray, mm. and they they learned in their brokenness the power of God, 
And I honestly think, and I don't, I don't talk about this a lot because this is a, this is a, almost a frightening concept. But I, but I think most of us could use being broken a little bit. Yeah. That we might be more dependent and thus more prayerful. Mm, that's so good. Um, well, you know, earlier uh, today you had uh, you, t- you talked about uh, you know being convicted by reading about Jesus, but. Uh, at the same time, recognizing that we needed to develop uh, these habits in order to uh, sort of make it our, our DNA uh, to, I think, in the hard times and in the good times, to to naturally turn towards prayer. Um, but there is sort of this tension that exists between spending time in prayer and then doing all the other things that we have to do uh, to include uh things we would say are really good things, things like ministry. And so uh, how do we navigate that tension? Yeah, that's that's hard because uh, particularly as men, but really as human beings, we are, we are doers. Mm-hmm. And you think about our culture, we get affirmation, uh, we get recognition, we get praise, not because of our alone time with God that nobody knows about, but by what we do publicly by our position, by our prestige, by our popularity. Mm. And, and for many of us, our self-esteem is wrapped up in what we do. Again, as men, we, we don't typically talk as men about how are you feeling today. We, we ask, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. Because, because that's, that's where we find our value. Uh, wrongly so, but we do find our, our value there. Uh, and and to think about, no, I need to set aside time to just be with God, and nobody knows it's happening. That's tough for us, because it it feels like, one, there are a whole lot more important things to do. Hmm. There aren't more important things than, than being with God. But it feels like, because we're evaluated on what we accomplish, it feels like, all right, if I take 30 minutes a day and just get alone and pray— we have a tendency to think, what else could I have accomplished in those in those thirty minutes? So it it feels like we're we're not using our time the best way by praying, but I think we have to come back to the place to recognize why does prayer really matter? Not only did Jesus teach us to pray, uh, not only does Paul tell us to pray without ceasing. But at the end of the day, it comes back to whether or not we have a genuine relationship with God. It, it seems to me, I, I talk to my wife all the time. Prior to COVID, I traveled a lot. And whenever I was traveling, I would talk to her continually while I'm on the road. And I, and I do that, one, just to let her know that I'm, that I'm safe. I'm thinking about her. But I also, I, I still love hearing her voice. I love hearing her say that she's praying for me. She's thinking about me. And, and that's just part of relationship. And so if we, if we claim we have a relationship with God, but don't prioritize our praying, we don't set aside the time to do it, we don't wake up in the morning looking forward to spending time with God, then I think there's some weakness in our relationship that we, that we have to work on. We have to prioritize it because we believe it matters. Mm. Yeah, so good. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I think oftentimes I have to remind myself that God doesn't need me to accomplish any particular act because I'm that I'm I'm so great. Um, rather, He allows me to be a part of His work, and um, I find that uh, when I pray, um, then it's it's not just 
the act that's impacted. It's my posture or the way that I approach that act. And that's really the difference between doing something for my glory and for God's glory. Yeah, that's that's right. What prayer does is it changes it, it, it changes that for which we pray because God responds to our praying. But just as much, if not more, sometimes it, it changes us. Mm. It, as, I, as I said this morning, uh, prayer slows us down enough. It, it requires that we step away from the activity that we might be in a place for God to work in us and through us. So when we, when we in dependence seek the face of God, uh, we're much more willing to listen to God, which is why I think we have to tie this to the, the reading of the Word. Mm. And there's just something about getting on our faces before God, whether we do that literally or metaphorically. There's, there's something about admitting need and longing for relationship and wanting God to work through us that just changes the way that we live. And we express that in our, in our prayer life. Mm. Well, I think all of this is is so good, and my hope is that if you're listening to this, uh, that um, it has already sort of like whet your appetite to to hear more, and uh, I would point you first uh, to uh, the Gospel of Luke and to Acts, and, and simply just slow down when you read and annotate every time that Jesus prayed or the early church prayed. Um, I would also encourage you to look in the podcast notes uh, to, to, to the link to uh, Dr. Lawless' uh, talk this morning, and then in those same notes, I'll share um, other resources like a link to his uh, website, chucklawless.com, uh, along with a resource guide that we put together uh, for this event. Um, Dr. Lawless, this has been good. We try to sort of keep it short um, and you've, you've done a pretty good job so far, but I've got one more question. Okay. Uh, we, we like to end uh, things sort of on a, on a, on a fun note. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to think too much about it. I just want you to kind of uh, throw it around there and see what comes out. And, uh, and the question this week is, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever eaten? You know, let me, let me answer that in two ways. <laughs> One, I think the weirdest thing that I know I've eaten was uh, the the tentacles of, uh, I think, uh, baby octopus in a rice dish. And I'm not, uh, I'll eat seafood, but only if I can't smell it coming. Right. Uh, and and uh, I, I did, I smelled something. And I thought, what is that? And then in just fumbling around with my fork, you just see the the little tentacles, and that was all I could take. That I know mm. I ate. In my in my work with missions, I just have a hunch that I've eaten stuff that wasn't what people said it was. Yes. <laughs> and so I suspect I've eaten some some more weird things that I probably don't even know that I did and probably don't want to know that I did. <laughs> uh, I can, uh, I can attest to that. My family was overseas for, uh, for a few years in Thailand and I, we ate things like, uh, bugs and, um, <laughs> uh, field, field mice and other things like that. Uh, but I'll actually share one from my wife. Uh, so, uh, I had chose to pass on this particular dish that day. Um, but she was, uh, eating something that had maybe a little bit of chicken, a broth, and, uh, there were little white things throughout it that looked like maybe little small legumes or beans or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
and all of a sudden we kind of see a, a head pop up uh, in the soup, and it looks like a wasp, and we don't know. Maybe it's just a random wasp. Um, and then you see other wasp parts, and you realize it's larva. And uh, what oh, caught us goodness. wasn't so much, it didn't have a flavor, and we'd eaten bugs before, uh, but what really caught us was, imagine being the guy who has to harvest the larva. Oh. <laughs> it seems like it's not worth it, especially for the, the, the 70 cents the soup costs. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. And I believe very much in contextually affirming the people you're, you're trying to reach. Sure. <laughs> but... Uh, I would have to pray that down pretty seriously. (laughs) Well, um, Dr. Lawless, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been good to be with you. Well, Fairview, until next time, may we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm